Amen. Shabbat shalom. Woo, that's loud. We're on. Hello. Uh, so as Darren said, um, Rabbi asked me to share my testimony. Uh, I could be up here for days talking about the testimony of what my father has done uh, in so many ways, but I think specifically he wanted me to share um, my testimony of basically beginning to walk with him and the, my salvation story, so to speak, uh, for lack of better terms. But uh, I'm not too good on um, small talk, so I just like to get right into it and uh, begin to paint a picture. Uh, first off, I do want to say that I don't know many people's stories here. I don't know what you've been through in life. I don't know what you're going through. So if you feel like maybe I'm directing something towards you, because I've had this happen before when I give my testimony or when I speak, when you feel like, if you feel like I'm talking to you or about you, it's not me. It's, it's probably something you deal with. So please don't leave. Uh, I, I have no clue. So uh, just kind of bear with it and take it as, as maybe uh, the Lord's speaking to you in that way, trying to deal with something in your heart. Um, so that's a beautiful thing in itself. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, so I want to paint a picture first uh, about my childhood atmosphere. Um, so I came from a loving family. Mom and dad were providers. Um, they, they loved us dearly, no doubt. Um, but that was the extent of where they were. <clears throat> they provided. There wasn't this godly uh, advice, there wasn't this godly direction in their home, and it really, truly blesses me to see these kids, man, in these families that are here, uh, and their, their mom and dad are walking in the Lord and, and pursuing God every day. It's such a blessing to see that. It's such a blessing to see that structure and, and that family surrounding the child. Um, but in my home, when we, you know, we, we loved each other, we were close, tight-knit, but there were just arguments all the time. Every day was chaos. I mean, and, you know, being young, you don't really know what it's all about, but later on, you know, you hear, oh, it was about money, you know, or is it about this or that. So you hear about a lot of that, and so there was like zero peace in the home uh, every day, all day, uh, whether it was my mom and dad or my brother. My brother was getting into all kinds of stuff, you know, dealing drugs, uh, all this stuff. So I basically learned how not to be because of him. I learned how to get away with stuff. So he got caught. I didn't get caught doing things. So that was, that was, that was my brother's example for me. Um, my brother is an awesome, I love my brother so much, and uh, we became a lot closer now, and, and I have much respect for him. He's came a long way in, in that of, in of itself. So. Um, so yeah, so arguments all the time, no peace. I've got some bullet points here because uh, I will go off into left field 20 times because um, there's just so much there. I uh, spent most of my time uh, as a child. I was out in the neighborhood running around. There wasn't family guidance. There wasn't people around keeping me reeled in. As basically, I get off the school bus, I do my chores or whatever it is my parents needed me to do, and I was gone until it got dark, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's a good childhood. You had fun, all this stuff. Uh, but the problem was like, you know, so I didn't have that dynamic of mom and dad uh, pouring into me uh, in a way, even, even morality. Morality wasn't really even poured into me. Um, so like growing up, you know, you have uh, family members that proclaim Christianity, uh, including grandparents, and then all of a sudden you're, you're with them and they're dropping the, uh, the N-bomb. They're, they're 
you know, racist slurs. Uh, you know, even riding down the road with my dad, my dad's this racial slur, he's yelling because this guy's walking on the side of the road and he's not even, I remember that as a child. So growing up and being around that and, uh, and at the same time, now their grandmother's dragging you up to, in front of the church to sing this song about how good Jesus is. But at the same time, she's going to be talking down about these different ethnicities and uh, cursing and, and all this different stuff around the children. Uh, I will say that there was uh, a sprinkling of Christianity and a sprinkling of the Word of God in my life here and there. Uh, and, you know, those are story, stories in themselves. But uh, for specifically my mom's mom, uh, although I don't agree with Benny Hinn and a lot of stuff he I do remember going into my grandmother's house. She always had Benny Hinn or some preacher playing on the TV. And I remember walking into her house and feeling peace, a peace that I did not recognize at home. Uh, so I knew that there was something there. Never really thought about it. You know, it wasn't something that I began to pursue as a young, at a young age or whatever. Um, so basically my view of Christianity, my view of walking with God was just like people go to this place, they do this thing, that whatever, and then you just keep living your life out. Uh, there's really no life behind it. There's no action behind it. Um, so that was where I was at. And then, you know, we have, I have certain instances where uh, maybe while I was out and about in the neighborhood, this is what I was getting into earlier, is um, you know, I didn't have that guidance with my parents, but I was in the neighborhood at my friend's house. So my friends, all of my friends, uh, their, their families were always together. Like, they never were apart. So we, I, I basically was infused into these families in the neighborhood. We had three or four houses that I would be at all the time, um, including, you know, the, they trusted me so, so much that my, one of my best friends was actually a girl, and we actually slept in the same bed at 13, 14 years old. Uh, didn't do anything. I, I was naive. I didn't care. I was, I was all about sports, all, all about hitting that jumper, you know, crossing somebody up on the court, playing basketball, whatever. So I was very naive at that time because I didn't really, you know, I didn't really care about that stuff. But that's kind of where we was at. Or I would be at, I would be at a house and, you know, there would be uh, smoking marijuana in the other room or whatever, uh, you know, drunk uh, a lot of sexual perversions, things that they talked about in front of us that later on I didn't, I didn't realize that, like I said, it just kind of washes through. But now that I realize and now that I'm getting older, some of these things are coming back to me. I'm, I'm digging through, I'm looking inward, and I'm remembering these certain points in my life where these grown-ups, these people, family members, people that were trusted to be around uh, this kid, you know, growing up, they were molding my brain. They were giving me insight on life, and it was in a way that was not of God at all. It was something that was just abnormal according to God's creation. It was completely uh, things that I had no, no reason to be hearing at this time. So these things began to mold me. So I was being molded by all these different personalities around, whatever that looked like. And, and not to mention the kids that I was running around with, they were further gone than I was. I mean, they were, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old having sex, uh, you know, already getting drunk, smoking weed, popping pills, doing all this stuff because they were able to get it, whether it be from their parents or somebody, else, somebody else's parents. Uh, so we was always out and about doing all, you know, around this stuff. Uh, for quite some time, I was a straight edge. I was straight edge. Uh, people knew it. Uh, I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to do drugs. I wasn't going to do all this stuff. They knew I didn't care about girls because I was too busy playing sports, having fun. Um, so, and that was okay. Everybody respected that. Um, a few weeks ago, I actually, it, it hit me really hard that I remember when that naive uh, place that I was in completely disappeared. 
that innocence. Uh, you know, you always hear about people talk about how innocence was lost. And I take this, I take this experience and I look at all of life and how much some little thing completely revamp your whole life. It could be one super small decision. Like last night, me and Amy seen this guy, he got T-boned because he decided to turn into a parking lot out in front of a car and hit. He decided to turn his car. Boom, he hit. Now his life's changed. This guy took off sprinting across town because he was afraid he was going to get arrested for some reason or whatever. So it's these little decisions. So in this moment uh, that, I, that I remember, literally a few weeks ago, uh, I remember that moment. I remember what I felt. And, and now I can explain it as like this veil being pulled off of me. It's like I was in this naive, this childlike state, and then all of a sudden this sheet was pulled off of me. And it was simple as this. We were sitting, me and my friend, we were sitting with these two girls, uh, and they're talking or whatever, me and him are talking, and he leans over me. He's like, hey, look, look at her legs. Now this sounds really stupid to some people. Look at her legs. And I'm like, okay, I've seen her legs. But then I was like, curiosity, I was like, what is he, like, what is he seeing? So I'm staring at the legs, staring at the legs, staring at the legs, and then all of a sudden, boom, I feel this thing. And that's when I felt like this thing lifted up. I'm like, wow. You know, all of a sudden, uh, that was an attraction for me. All of a sudden, that was like something that, oh man, I, it was like right in that moment, I just, des like I desired that. Um, so the, the saying, you know, the guys, the eyes are the gateway to the soul, like I... Man, I relate to that so much in that moment and throughout my life, to be honest. Seeing, seeing the things that's happened in my life and, and the battles and, and the psychology of it as well. Um, so it was that simple gaze, that simple gaze at, at these, this girl and, and not just looking at it, but like really thinking about like, what is he seeing? What is he seeing? And then bam, this thing happened. And for whatever reason that happened, I don't know, but it happened. Um, so I got to know the, the young lady, and um, we became boy and girlfriend. Um, next thing you know, we're, you know, holding hands. You know, a lot of people, I'm a stickler. Last congregation was at, we was part of the youth group. Youth group's in there. You guys aren't holding hands. I'm sorry. I don't care if you've been together 20 years. If you're not married, you're not holding hands. That's just, that's just us. Because um, we see what that leads to. You know, leaning over, putting your, heart, your hand, your arm around your girl, all this stuff. Um, I'm a stickler for that. I'm a stickler. And uh, a lot of people don't like it. And that's why like, I will not even approach to be in a youth group unless somebody's going to be able to back me on that. Um, because I know where people's minds go. And I know the, the, uh, the intimacy when, so you have this emotion towards somebody and it's, it's, you know, it's inside, but then all of a sudden when it flushes out into a handhold, next thing you know, uh, we're, we're hugging. Next thing you know, we're doing this or that. You know how the story goes. So basically, two become one flesh. That's the point we came to. We, we came to. And once we got there, I became severely addicted to sex. Not only sex, but sensuality in general. You know, when I say sensuality, people, people automatically, uh, they get tied up into sex. They say it's sex, sensuality, sex. Sensuality, I would say also, is feeding your senses, period. Whether it be a glutton for food, whether it be drugs and alcohol, because you want to feel that thing. You know, like I've been, I've done drugs and I haven't been addicted, but I just wanted to get high. I wanted to be trashed. And, or I wanted to uh, like just unwind with like, you know, a, a case of beer or whatever it might be. That's how I unwind, blackout drunk. And um, that's, that's where it was. But 
so yeah, I, be, I became addicted, and it was sex and pornography were, were the biggest things, the biggest strongholds. Um, so many people that I've seen that I've walked with, they've, they've dealt with this stuff, they've dealt with, um, you know, problems with sexuality, they've dealt with looking at stuff they shouldn't look at. And, but you got to think, I was, a, I was a young man, and I was opened up to pornography uh, at my friend's house that I was going to, the same place where I looked at the girl's legs. Her, her brother was into pornography, into his stepdad's pornography, I should say, because we would go over there and we would watch that stuff. And then it was probably after that that me and the girl really got phys more physical. Um, but I say this, I, I bring up the pornography thing because... The shaping of my life wasn't happening at home. It was happening in the neighborhood, but also something that shaped me more in the way that I reacted and I, fo I functioned in life was the pornography, in my eyes, showed me how to be a man. It showed me how to treat women. It caused me to have unhealthy amounts of sexuality in my life. Later on, I realized that my girlfriend at that time was abused. She was abused as a young girl. Couldn't figure out why that I would come in the room sometimes. She'd be wrapped up in a blanket. It's because her dad, her stepdad, used to go in and molest her. She opened up to me. I was the first one she opened up to. And you know, to become one flesh is a deep thing. So you start taking on things that these people have in their lives. So she told me a story about her sister being raped by this man and how her mom ran her off. Well, after me and her had broken up like one or two times, I don't know how many times it was, she, she called me up. She said, hey, you remember when I told you about my sister being raped? I was like, yeah. She's like, well, she's like, I realized that was me that night. She was the one that was raped. So now she's in a relationship with this person that she trusts, has helped breaking down barriers, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And so I basically use her to fulfill that need. I use her up every day. We use each other, basically. I mean, unhealthily. I mean, just ridiculous. So this addiction is, was so crazy. Literally driving down the road, if I see I seen a female, like my mouth would water. If I seen a girl in the store, my mouth would water. You know when you see that food that you want to eat? I, that's where I was with sexuality. I had friends that we would take turns videotaping each other with, with stuff. So this is where I was at. I was partying, I was drinking, I was getting sloshed in the weekends. It wasn't about just having a beer, you know, being casual, but it was about completely being slop, just sloppy, uh, blackout drunk. I winded up in, the, in garages of people's homes. Uh, I, I ended up passing out in people's front yards, waking up. I woke up one day in my front yard beside my little truck that I still drive. I drove home drunk one day and passed out at the, uh, I remember I, I got there at home after driving drunk home and I uh, woke up. Sun was shining. My dad's picking me up out of the yard. My pants are all the way down to my ankles because I, I had to use the bathroom. So then I'm passed out in my own urine. So that's where I was at. They thought I was on drugs. They got me tested for cocaine, and I was, I was just so drunk. It was just terrible. 
But that's what I did every weekend. And they didn't realize, they didn't realize where I was at then. But I was very open my parents. They asked me something, I'll tell them. My mom always uh, makes a joke now. She said that I've basically almost too honest that I made her blush at times back in the day when she asked me what I was doing or what I was up to. Not to mention I had pornographic pictures all over my room at home. Parents didn't say take them down. They didn't say get rid of those magazines. You know, magazines laying around. That's where I was at. One of the times I remember when I, I got off work, we used to work, and on Friday nights, me and a lot of guys was in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's a 45-minute drive home. I was just telling Amy about this the other night, it just hit me. When I, was, when I was just praying about things to kind of bring up in this testimony, I, I thought about this time when I was on my way home. I was, I was drunk, driving 45 minutes home from Charlotte. I was probably going about 80, 90 mile an hour down 85, and I'm just rolling. I'm in the zone. I'm just half asleep, drunk. And you know those, uh, the, the flashing arrow signs that they use? They used to be on these gas-powered machines to keep them flashing at night. While well, I'm rolling down the road, all of a sudden that thing's probably like maybe 50 yards in front of me. I'm like, crap, I need to switch lanes. I go to look over, tractor trailer's right beside me. I, turn, I just turned the wheel. I literally closed my eyes and turned the wheel, man. And I went between the tractor trailer and that thing, and I was safe. I was smooth sailing. But I was awake then. I was awake. But that was just one instance of, of just stupidity. And how I look back, and even in my wickedness, I see God's hand on me. I see so many times the things that we've done as high schoolers, the things that we've done as high schoolers, that I should have been dead, my friends should have been dead. The people that I went to school with, the people that I grew up with, my dad calls me sometimes, he works in the prison, says, hey, I got your buddy here. He says, tell you, hey, locked up. If not there, they're in the ground. If not, if not there, they're almost there, they're going. I've actually, I've been very blessed to see a couple people that, that we went to school with. My own, I just got quiet. We back? Yeah. I was very blessed to see a couple of people that we went to school with that actually pursuing God it, like wholeheartedly, just on fire. And one guy actually really, uh, he actually passed away. But bless God, he was, he was running with the same people that I was running with. But he, uh, he was on fire for the Lord. He was doing stuff with the youth group, and uh, he was all about it. I mean, I went to his funeral. It was a celebration. You know, so I just thank God for that. Um, but yeah, so I, I look back and I see all this stuff. I see the hand of God. I see the sprinkling of stuff, whether it's going to my grandmother's house and, and feeling that peace when I walk into her home. Uh, or uh, one, of the, one of the homes, they, they actually pushed us away. They wanted us to go to this, uh, this Bible thing for kids uh, because they wanted to get high and drunk or do whatever they were going to do. But beneficially, we were around people that actually cared about the kids. They would say prayers with us and things like that. Don't really remember a whole, much, a whole lot about that. Um, but thank God that we had certain, just certain uh, places there that, that we went through that. But moving, moving forward, uh, I was, this is when I was still working in Charlotte. I, I had these dreams. So, so I'm, 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 I'm hell-bent. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. Heavy metal shirt, you know, every day of the week for all month. Uh, and um, like just 
demonic stuff in my room. I was, I, I was going to bring this up earlier. I was actually possessed. So I look at the scriptures, how it talks about the Holy Spirit living in us and this walking with the Holy Spirit, us living with the Holy Spirit. And I think about that and I think about how I was possessed by something demonic because after, let me, get, let me hold that. After, after I came to know the Lord, there's something that happened when I went home in my room. But before I get to that, so I was walking in that way, super demonic atmosphere. And then uh, I basically had this dream. My dream was I was riding down the road in my truck, fields on both sides. It was just like one of those dreams like you feel everything, you see everything, you smell everything, just so real. Like I, I, I still believe that I was there. I believe I was taken there. And um, it's just clear, clear day. I see this, uh, this uh, whirlwind come down and I'm driving and it's just like right beside my truck. And then as soon as it hits the ground, it just disperses and Yeshua walks out. And it wasn't Yeshua. Now that, that I'm thinking about it, after I came to understand the Torah and, and, and coming back to the roots of our faith, um, it wasn't this blonde-headed white Jesus. This was like this, this, this Yeshua uh, with skin tone and you know, brown hair. And it wasn't, it wasn't nothing like the Jesus of these pictures that I've seen. I'm convinced that I've seen his, I'm seeing his face, just to be honest. I'm convinced of many things, but, and people think I'm a, a loon sometimes, but I don't really care, because uh, God is so good. Amen. But, so I had this dream, and then as soon as the, the, the whirlwind hits the ground, he's walking up to my truck super fast, so I'm like driving in my truck, I'm probably going 60 down the road, and he's just like this, walking up to my truck, and I'm like, man, you know, I don't even believe this stuff, you know? And so... Basically, uh, my, my uh, truck disappears, and I'm in the street, but I'm in 180, and I'm on my knees like this. My mouth is, is open. I can't shut my mouth. He's, he, and then all of a sudden, he's standing there, and then he just kind of floats up off the ground in front of me, and then I wake up. And um, so that was one. And then the next dream was... Uh, I was, I, was running, I was running through this uh, development. I think it was like the trailer. I think it was the trailer park near my house, actually, the one I grew up in. And there was this giant. He was lifting up cars, and it was a giant Jesus. He was lifting up these cars, and I'm, I'm hiding behind these boxes, hiding behind everything I can. And he's just lifting stuff up. Man, I woke up. I was scared to death. But these dreams shook me to the core. And uh, I worked with this guy in Charlotte. His name was Charles, Charles Mason. Um, and he, he, was, uh, he, was, he was a guy that knew my dad when my dad worked in trucking. And this guy was a hell raiser is what they call him. They said he was just mean as a snake. But God had got a hold of him. And he was just like the nicest guy. Loved the Lord, him and his wife. And he always tried to minister in his own way, but he wasn't that good at it. But, uh, but, but one day I told him about my dreams. And um, he, said, uh, he said, Jesus is coming after you. Jesus is coming after you. I was like, man, whatever. And I actually dropped. F-bomb on him right there. I used to drop the F-bomb every other word. Uh, it was ridiculous. But um, more of that in a minute. Uh, so yeah, so I had these dreams. And then next thing you know, uh, just kind of moving forward, I left this job. And this is how my walk with God has been. I'm doing something. I have no clue why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. And it's just like, he, he just does stuff. So I'm walking off this job. And it was like a good paying job. Been there for a while. And I'm literally getting into my truck thinking, Travis, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? Why are you leaving this place? So I quit, left, went to another job. The job was terrible that I went to. I completely was aggravated and depressed. I left that job, ended up going to uh, Shusho. 
uh, which was a place that I never wanted to work at again, Shusha Warehouse. It was terrible. It still is terrible. I hope we got that on record online. <laughs> Completely terrible. Are we still on? Yeah, we got it. All right. So, um, so basically, yeah. So I went there, and that's when my life was changed forever and continues to be changed forever. Um, I met a man. Uh, I didn't know that he was an evangelist. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what he did. I was, just like I was naive as a child, I was naive as this, this sinful, demonic dude. Like, I had no clue when people were talking about Jesus and stuff. I, didn't, I had no clue what they were doing or what they were trying to do. Uh, so, long story short with this, me and him, uh, like, worked together and stuff. And he's like, hey, you, uh, you ever play racquetball? I was like, no. Nah. So, he, he's like, okay, let's play racquetball. So, basically, uh, he took me out. We went and played racquetball, showed me how to play, fell in love with racquetball. Um, and then after he uh, went to his house, and um, he, uh, he was just a servant, man. He, he served me. He was uh, just nice to me. He fed me, had this whole spread, and um, so basically when I was sitting there, he was cleaning up. He was cleaning up everything, and then he uh, plops a Bible down in front of me, and you know, I'm like, he's putting a Bible down in front of me, like, what is this guy doing? You know, it's like really, for me, it was really weird, but that's just kind of how he was, and, um, and he said, read this, and I'm reading now the NASB, it's Romans 10, you guys have heard this, Romans 10, 9, uh, it says, right here, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one, with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, and for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he said, read that, and, I, and, and so I read it, I read it out loud, because he wanted me to read it out loud, because he was weird like that, so I read it out loud, he's like, do you believe that? Here's that veil again, I believe, I don't know why, I told him, I don't know why I believe, it wasn't this emotional church service, it wasn't me wallering in depression, it wasn't all this stuff, so there's no evidence of man doing stuff except him serving me, being, you know, being kind, and then opening up the scriptures and saying, here, read this, and then bam. So it's not a laboring, it's not a laboring thing. It's a love thing. It's a God thing. For there, it, I, I, left, I left his house in my truck. I've been driving that thing since high school, man. Praise God. I left his house. I remember I was riding over the speed bumps in his apartment complex. And I said to myself, Travis, how long is this going to last? Because he told me I was saved. He said, you're saved. He's like, you're, you're, you're saved. You're walking with the Lord now. I was like, wow, okay. All right. That's why, you know, I don't, I don't really prefer seeing altar calls and, hey, you raise that hand, okay, this, that, and the other thing. But you know what? People are radically, honestly, radically saved in weird situations that we don't understand. And this was one of those situations where God completely rearranged my life. I literally left there, went to the store. I think, I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I went straight from there, went to the gas station, got a 40, and went and sat on my porch. So I was sitting on my porch and uh, drinking my 40 or whatever, and then I think I poured it out or something. I went, I went to Amy's 
sometime or another. That might, I might have went straight to her. I think I went straight to her house with the 40 and, uh, and I told her, I, I can't remember how I told her. It was more on the lines of, hey, I got saved today or something like that when we, when we were talking. Uh, I just, I can't remember exactly. I wish I could remember the, I wish we had a, like a video of everything, but uh, I ended up pouring out some of uh, like the rest of it because I was like, oh, I don't really, really want any more of this right now or whatever. But um, so at that time, me and her, we were living in sin. You know, we were doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. And um, we decided we we're going to cut that off. Um, it really, for her, it wasn't a big deal. She, she just like kind of latched on to me and she's like seen something happening. So she's running. Um, I, um, I actually went home, you know, went back home. And this is what I was going to get into earlier. I went home into my bedroom and there was like all this stuff. Like, my eyes were open, and then I'm, like, seeing all this stuff, like, for the first time almost. And uh, there was actually this, this thing in my room. It was like a shrine. It had turkey legs and feathers and incense and skulls and all the stuff all over it. Uh, just demonic stuff, you know, set up in, in just, like, intricate little ways. Like, it had to be set up certain ways in my room. And then I had a shrine to, to Metallica. I had, like, this Metallica shrine in my room. Uh, like, I was all about it. Um, and, and there was just this heavy darkness in there. And so I, I got all those demonic shirts that I spent all that money on. I piled it all in a bag, all this stuff, these posters, pictures, books, all this stuff. And I was carrying it down uh, across the, the yard to my dad's burn pile. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing? What do you got? And I was like, this is all my, uh, my heavy metal shirts. He's like, that's a lot of money right there. What are you doing? Because uh, he knew I wore that stuff all the time. And I was like, I'm tossing it. It's gone threw it in the fire. And, um, and I was working with him at that time, so then uh, I began to, to pray, with, pray with him uh, before work, because he didn't know what to think. I was like, Dad, I'm going to pray with you. And he's like, okay. So I grab his hands. I grab his hands, start praying with him. And next thing you know, uh, my mom and dad's uh, relationship was just completely restored. Peace in the home. They're still, I mean, they bicker at each other sometimes, but over like stupid stuff. But uh, the peace that they have in that home is so profound, uh, especially me living through what they had and now knowing what they have now uh, is completely miraculous. There's no other way to describe it at all. Um, so yeah, so like basically in my room, all this stuff was just, just trash. And I remember I was, I went to, uh, I, I sat in my room and it was basically empty. There, was, there wasn't hardly anything. I threw, out, I threw out most of my clothes because of the shirts. Um, so I'm sitting there and it's almost like, I tell people, it's almost like I was a rag doll that God had just busted open, pulled everything out, and then put himself in there. And, and he began, he sewed me back up and then... I just, I, like, even my speech was different because I didn't know what to say. I cursed and said all this perverse stuff all the time. I didn't really have a lot to say, you know, unless I had to talk to people. Like, I, I, I was, it was really, it was, honestly, it was a confusing moment uh, for me. So, um, my whole life was just completely rearranged. But I could keep, I can continue to go on forever about different things, but I just want to bring this up. This is, with, with me now living in this congregation with you guys and learning this walk, these things that happen to me are so confusing now because I'm, 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 I'm thinking more rational about following God. I'm thinking more rational about the scriptures. Uh, but I cannot, for the life of me, really truly understand the dynamic of what happened that day, how my eyes were completely open, how I've been changed ever since. Um, and the, the scriptures that always come, come to mind, one is uh, John uh, John fourteen six, 
And most of you already know the scripture, but I'm going to read it anyways. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then, you know, that's an awesome scripture. And I've seen that before, but the reality for me and my relationship and what happened to me is John 6, 44. And that's when my eyes were like completely open to like how special this thing was. It says, no one can come to me. This is Jesus, Yeshua. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So when I tell people about my experience with God, I tell them in that moment, it's like God just reached down and said, you come. God himself, the creator of all things, master, maker, the one we praise every day, he in that moment said, come. And that's all it took. That's all it took. And I also want to say that though I experienced that, and that has been my relationship snowballs over and over with him because like he's always doing this stuff, even down to our testimony with having this kid, and we can talk about that some other time. But it's just been one miracle after another, uh, one leading this way after the other. Uh, you know, I've argued with God, and we've had this thing going where he's just like, sometimes he'll just smash me and let me just like waller in my own self-pity, and then he'll pick me back up and brush me off and things like that. But I want to say this, like, some people have grown up in church, they've grown up with the scriptures around, they've grown up with guidance, and I've ran into people that are ashamed of their testimony because they say they don't have a testimony. And I tell you, I would rather have a testimony of the kids that are going to have this testimony now where they were raised up in this. They have loving families. They have these people around them. I would rather be sharing that testimony where from birth, physical birth, up to when I'm hitting the grave that I had people around me and God was in my life and the scriptures were involved and I was walking in this way. But I don't have that. God miraculously became my father. He's my father. He's the one that guided me. He's the one that directed me. He's the one that changed me. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. So I just want to encourage everyone, with whatever your experience is, however you came to know uh, the ways of God and walking in Him, or whatever you want to call it, it's your salvation story, you know. So everybody, some people are finicky with terms, but uh, I don't really care. I just, whatever it is, however you did it, however you come to this place, Share it. Share the goodness of God. Share what he's done in your life. Every day, there's somebody at work, you know, in the grocery stores. I mean, I prayed for people in the middle of grocery stores. I prayed for people at the gas stations. We had a guy at work the other day, man, he just busted down crying because his girlfriend cheated on him. So I share my story with him and tell him, listen, you're, you're fornicating. You're doing all this stuff. You're flirting with other girls anyway. So you're breeding what you're feeling right now. You caused it. So now he's starting to open up. He's, he's starting to desire to do better. And so we'll see where it goes. But we have to be open. We have to share our testimony. And every testimony, the fact that you're sitting here now, the fact that you come here week in and week out, the fact that you proclaim that Hashem is the God of all creation, the God of Israel, and that Yeshua is the Messiah, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. And I'll leave this here, Matthew 16. And I'm going to leave it right here. Matthew 16, 13. Nope. That's the wrong... Oh, that's Luke. Um, 
Yeah, so this scripture hit me really hard last night, and I shared it with Amy. It's just another one of those scriptures, and that's why I say if you're here right now, that's a just, it's a miracle. It's, it's the, the, the God of all creation working in you, working for you. And it's John 16, 13, 17, 13 through 17. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of the Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Father revealed that. So if you're walking in that, if that's revealed to you, then Father revealed that to you. No man revealed that to you. And I think we have to realize that we have to get in that reality. There's something, there's something more than this natural thing going on. So I want to leave you with that. I pray that you all take something away from this. If anyone wants to ever contact me in any way, shape, or form, talk about anything, I'm, I'm an open book. Like I said, there's more details, there's more things, and we can talk about experiences, um, ways of dealing with things in your life that I've been through and that I continue will battle all the way through my life because things try to rear their head, but I'm not going to let them rear their head long. So um, if anybody wants to reach out at any time, Facebook, uh, get with Darren, he's got my number or like whoever, uh, just approach me so it's no problem. Um, but I pray that that uh, all this sits well with you and that I pray that there's even freedom released today in, in the testimony and that you have the freedom in Yeshua and walking in Him and power over these things in your life. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.